What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I am so incredibly blessed to be joined by the one and only Justice Mosqueda today. You can find all of his work over at Acme Packing Company. Justice is one of my absolute favorite Packers writers. I follow everything that he does. You should absolutely be doing the same. And I'm so excited to pick his brain today. Justice, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Whenever, whenever you need me, I'm here. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. There's so much to go over. We've got a ton of Packers things to discuss. It's been a hot second since we've had the opportunity to chat. So really excited to, to kind of pick your brain on a couple different topics. But we would be remiss not to start the show with the big news from Wednesday. And that's, of course, that on a second straight February 1st, Tom Brady has retired from the NFL. Uh, it does seem more legitimate and real this time around. I don't know what your gut feel is on it. But uh, what was your overarching thought when you heard that Tom Brady was retiring? Again, I was like, that's a quick ayahuasca trip. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I saw that early in the morning uh, today. It, it does feel more real because it feels like this time he's saying goodbye to football, whereas that first retirement really felt like he was saying goodbye to Tampa Bay. Yeah. Right? If you guys remember what that I mean, they didn't he didn't even like really mention the Patriots. Right. And like Patriots fans were like, what the heck is this about? And then, you know, lo and behold, he unretires a couple weeks later. I think I think he's probably done. I mean, the I was I was listening to some stuff. Can't remember if it was Rappo or Schefter who was talking about it. Um, I think it was Rappaport actually. But he was like, "Yeah, it's a family thing. Like his family is now like his kids are located in Miami, right? Like they're no longer necessarily living with him, and he just like wants to be around to be a father. And like that's completely understandable to me, you know. Totally agreed. I, the one thing I will say, you you mentioned Miami. Miami's all in on Tua. To me, there is a world maybe where like week 15, like let's say the exact same scenario happens next year that happened this year where Dolphins go through a season and they're a competitive team. You've got Mike McDaniel's offense. You've got Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, the whole, the whole kit and caboodle. And all of a sudden Tua has a concussion issue end of the year again that's going to knock him out for the year. I, they have to at least call Tom Brady, right? And be like, Hey, you want to finish out this team that, you know, 12 and three on the season. And, you know, we just need you to finish out the year. Like I, something tells me he would probably say yes to that. But other than like some crazy scenario, I do feel like he's legitimately at least trying to retire this time. Yeah. I mean, the Miami thing is always, I mean, they don't have a first round pick this year because they try, they try to go after Tom Brady. Right. That's true. And I, I guess Sean Payton too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's potentially in the cards, but yeah, you have to figure out the Tua thing before that, and who know who knows what the heck's going. I mean, he's still in concussion protocol, and that's why he can't go to the Pro Bowl. And we're talking, you know, a month since we last sat, last saw Tua, so who knows what that situation is going to look like? If anyone's going to come back at this age, I mean, it would be Tom Brady, right? <laughs> I mean, we we even saw. I mean, there are obvious issues with that team. Um, that offensive line was decimated almost as soon as the season started, but like his, it wasn't like the end of Drew Brees or the end of Peyton Manning where it's like, this guy's arm is dead like functionally. Yeah. Like this is his last year. We could all tell by like September, October, right? Yeah. It's just, he can't hang in the league anymore um, from an arm talent standpoint. I don't think that was the case with Brady. So for whatever reason, like father time hasn't come knocking on his door. So come back maybe, but I don't know. feels like once you retire, with the seriousness of this, the second time, second time, um, pro probably not. Totally agreed. What 
uh, you know, future playing aside, what is your, you know, sort of historical reference of Tom Brady? Do you view him as, I'll just say, <laughs> to me, I think he's probably the greatest of all time. If he, he, we can have conversations forever of if he is or isn't, whatever. To me, he's, he has the greatest career of all time of anyone. Uh, it's certainly in football. And I think he can go against, you know, almost anyone from a career standpoint of what he's done in his career. I'll say whether you like him or hate him, whether he's the villain or the hero, it's going to be football's just going to be different without him because either you went into almost every single playoffs being like, all right, I have a guy that I want to cheer against. Like, I don't want to see this guy get another playoff win. Or you're like, I just want to see if this guy can keep winning football games. Like whatever side you're on, it's just going to be different without having him there. So that's kind of where I uh, kind of end on things. I, I loved watching him play football. I made the mistake and I'm, not necessarily saying Tom Brady's Michael Jordan, but I think it's understandable why you're grouping those two together. Um, but I made the mistake growing up of cheering against Michael Jordan every single opportunity I had the chance because I was sick of him winning. And then I not like afterwards, I'm just like, man, just stop and enjoy the player that Michael Jordan was instead of just trying to constantly cheer against him. So I tried to enjoy Brady a little bit more and not kind of make that same mistake. But where do, where do you kind of come down on uh, his his career as a whole? I mean – we hosted him in a playoff game and I was frightened for my life yeah, going yeah. into it. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that's like one of their, cause I, I did a ranking of like Packers postseason losses one time and people said, you know, Tampa is way too low on my list. And I was like, Tam what were you guys' expectations? Tom Brady was coming in. You know what yeah. I mean? So I, I guess that's like where I give him credit. I mean, he's going to be remembered as a winner. I mean, the thing, the thing about the debate about, like, is he the most talented quarterback or whatever, right? Like, everyone who watched Marino growing up never thought that there was going to be anyone better than Marino. We we as Packers fans saw Brett and then Aaron, and we're like, there's no one who's going to be more physically talented Brett. than these guys. And now Kansas City Chiefs fans are probably thinking the same thing with Patrick Mahomes, right? So yeah. I, I think, like, when we get into, like, physical freaks or, like, just raw talent, those guys aren't – ever going to be looked at in the same way from a future standpoint, like looking backwards because the evolution of the athlete is just always going to like the bar is always going to get set higher and you're just going to get above that. Right. Yeah. The thing with Brady, he's always going to have those rings and there's nothing you can ever do to take those things away. So when kids right. are playing Madden 2045 or whatever <laughs> if ea still continues to get that damn license by themselves right like yeah these kids are playing mutt with whatever however many dollars it costs to buy some of those virtual cards like tom brady's gonna be in the mix in those right yeah. like he's gonna be looked back at like how we look at like even guys like you know bo jackson Deion sanders uh joe montana stuff like that like that's jerry rice that's how he's gonna be remembered he's forever linked into the history of football he's gone to what like 10 super bowls eight super bowls something like that like it's, it's insane. insane it's absolutely insane all right a couple of last questions in regards to then we'll move on to full packer stuff but i know some people are just like well he's just you know he just checks the ball down like it's all he does like to me like he was the master of efficiency and clearly they didn't watch the randy moss years very well but uh he was to me he was the master of efficiency and what he did was not easy in my opinion like it was like he made it look easy but it is it, it was just to me it was beautiful a lot to watch the efficiency with which he played with 10 to 12 years in the nfl everyone was obsessed with just replicating what peyton manning and tom brady could do yeah and no one outside of breeze was able kind to do of, it yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, like everyone was trying to build an offense like that, and no one else could do it. Um, I mean, he does. They do like they do a lot of screens and stuff like that. They obviously used a slot receiver a whole lot more. Um, you know, early on, you know, early on the Patriots, like even with Bledsoe, right? Like they were at the, like the tip top of the league in terms of just like raw pass attempts. I know everyone thinks of like Bill Belichick now as like a guy who runs the ball. But it's because his like game planning hasn't really changed since then. Like for the for the times, they're ripping the ball like crazy, right? Yeah. Um, so I I I see teams trying to emulate what he does and failing. So like you got to give him credit for that. I mean, I know sometimes he's just throwing it up to you know, hey, he's got Randy Moss running downfield. You know, he has a one on one with Gronk, and Gronk is like that guy. He's running little option routes with, you know, whoever, whoever, you know, Edelman, Amendola, whoever it is in the Welker. slot, like, like, okay. But, you know, he's, he's moving the ball downfield. He's winning all these damn ball games. He's the most consistent guy in the sport. Like you got to give him credit. He didn't win those rings by accident. We've seen what Bill's done without him, you know? Totally agreed. As we transition this to Packers talk, when you heard of Brady, did it make you think that it changed anything from an Aaron Rodgers standpoint? You know, at APC, we've had some guys bring up like Aaron probably doesn't want to share a podium at the uh, at the Hall of Fame with Tom Brady. And I think that's maybe an interesting point because you know Rodgers is maybe a guy who thinks like that, right? Not not just from like I don't know his brain is just weird, right? Like he's taking different. He's looking at it from a lot of different perspectives. So like yes. maybe that's something that does end up you know influencing him. The only other thing is like. Man, look at the quarterback landscape in the NFC. Is Dak Prescott the best quarterback in the NFC right now? And Cowboy fans want to get rid of him. So like That's really crazy. <laughs> I didn't even really think of it that way. Because it's what Cousins in the North. Well, Jalen Hurts probably has an argument. I mean, okay, depending on what fair. you think of Hurts, but but in yeah, the South, either there's way. Not much, right? Out so the, west, the, I mean, the South is completely Stafford barren, and then the West is what Stafford and Geno Smith at this point. Whoever yeah, starts Stafford, Stafford's got an injury, Kyler's yeah. got an injury. Like, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. It's, it's really weird. All the quarter, all the young quarterback talent has you know gone to the AFC. So, so you trade Rodgers to the AFC, and then Jordan Love becomes the best quarterback in the NFC. It's not, it doesn't seem that difficult, right? Uh, easier said than done, maybe, yeah. but yeah, I mean. Let's give it a try. Exactly. Right. And to me, it's the, it's the final cherry on the Sunday. I never thought that he was going to retire and nothing would shock me, but I never thought he was going to actually retire. Yeah. He's talking with his first, like the immediate Pat McAfee show right after like he, well, he's like still in my, I got to figure things out phase. He's talking about, yeah, I can still be an MVP in this league. Like he's already like in the mind space of like, yeah, I can compete at a super high level. So to me, that was a tell. And then I like, I don't think like if anyone could probably just step away from $60 million guaranteed, it's probably Aaron Rodgers. but like, that's a pretty other nice cherry on the Sunday as well, at least a big scoop of ice cream. And then you, to me, like you're not going to have to go into the hall of fame the same year as, as Tom Brady. You potentially have the opportunity to you know, either green Bay is probably going to tell him, yeah, we're going all in and we're going to do everything we can, or they're going to trade him to a team that is like just everything to me is lining up for him to play again. This was just the, the one last check on the checklist. Yeah, I don't – I this is just gut feel from, you know, listening to all the Rodgers interviews and stuff like that. Like, I don't think he's going to retire. I'm like 80-20. I don't think he's going to retire. The, the big question, again, is 
what qualifies as a rebuild to Aaron Rodgers, right? When he's coming out and he's name dropping multiple times, even when he talked about, you know, the conversations with uh, Romeo Dobbs, right? Where Dobbs came out and was like, uh, you know, it's always been about football with Aaron. And he's like, well, look at all these guys who are in their thirties. And like, I have stuff in common with them and I don't have anything in common with kids in their, you know, their 21, 22, whatever it is. And he's name dropping, you know, Bakhtiari, Crosby, Tunyon, Lazard, all these guys. And it's like, all those guys are the guys who are going to be free agents. And then you get the Schefter stuff where he's like, you know, he could request a trade if, you know, his buddies aren't coming back. And it's like, I don't know if you guys have looked at the free agency market. There's not a lot out there, which is like, hey, man, the Bears are about to spend a record amount of money on a terrible free agent class. Like, that's awesome. But the flip side of that is like, Alan Lazard might be the highest paid wide receiver from this free agency market. Christian Kirk got 17 million last year. Yeah. Right? Like, how feasible is it really to bring back Tunyon and Lazard? Like, some of the other guys, like Mercedes Lewis. I don't think, like, bring Mercedes Lewis back for now to the end of time. He can be the unbalanced right tackle and just like run block, right? For, like, I don't think anyone would be the, the Tom Brady that. of unbalanced <laughs> tight right, end. Exactly. But where it gets to be a question is like when it's Lazard or Tunyon and stuff like that. And it's like, those guys are going to cost real money. And like I guess, like we mentioned before um, we started recording this, like the Packers are going to be like $20 million over the cap, right? So something's got to give at some point, right? So I don't know. That That's my big question mark is like what qualifies a rebuild to Aaron Rodgers? Because I, I have a feeling Aaron Rodgers and the Packers front office have a dif- different definition of what rebuild counts as. I very much agree with that. And I think if they do want Aaron back and that's the direction that they want to go in, they're going to have to sell a reboot pretty aggressively to him and exactly what that means and what guys they can actually bring back and how they're actually going to make this team better because there's not, there's not an easy Avenue to do that. And that's what I think is going to be so interesting about this off season. And I do like, if there's one thing that I wholeheartedly believe Aaron on when, you know, with, with what he's talked about so far, like, I don't, I don't think he has any real interest in coming back for a season and not having a team that can compete for a Super Bowl. Like, I think he realizes that like, if he does come back, this is probably it. Like this is probably the year. And if green Bay is just showing like, it's basically kind of going to be the same thing we had last year. And we're, you know, we're going to try to get a shot at the playoffs. We're going to try to do our normal thing where we bring in a couple, you know, low price free agents and hope they pan out. We're going to build through the draft. I think Aaron just might be like, I'm like hard pass. Like, so they're going to have some, I think at that point you just, get him to a spot where he wants to get draft picks, right? I mean, the price has to be the price to a certain extent. Like, you're not just going to trade him for a single first-round pick or something like that. Um, but if he wants to go play with the Jets, I think you look around and you're like, okay, like we went 8-9 and nine last year. It was not enough. Like, understand and, you know, no, no hard feelings. So I had another question I want to ask, but let's just jump into this main one right now. So let's put your GM hat on for a second. And what, what do you do with Aaron Rodgers? What, what do you, if you're looking at this Packers roster holistically and saying what's best for this team, not only, not only this year, not what's best for the legacy of Aaron Rodgers or, you know, any of that, just looking at what's best for the, you know, 1265 as a whole, what, what would your recommendation be if you had Gucci or if you were in charge? I th- I think if he wants to come back, you make it work. Interesting. And then if he if he wants if he doesn't want to come back, you let him go. I mean, I I, th- I think it's really so it as simple Aaron. as deferring to him. Yeah, I mean, 
I'm I'm not a big fan of the like completely like and and I don't think they would completely tear it down, but like I I'm not a fan of like let's just tank for a couple years, right? Like that never seems to work. Like you build bad culture. Even you could go listen to uh I forget what it was, the the the, the Sean Kaiser interview, I can't remember what it's called, where he talks about like just the culture in Cleveland and how different it was than like Green Bay. And it's like, yeah, that's when you're trying to lose games for a while, like the culture is obviously going to be bad, right? Like stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I, I, I think you try your best to do whatever you can to be more competitive in the short term. I, I, I think that's my general perspective. And I think that's probably Aaron Rodgers just because, you know, Jordan Love is kind of a question mark. But if Rodgers does want to leave, I think you're at the point where you're not going to play hardball with him anymore, right? You're, you're just going to say, okay, well, let's find somewhere where a, a price makes sense, right? And we'll figure it out there. I agree with the last part. And I am a firm believer that winning breeds winning. I don't think I don't think this tanking mindset, you, you don't want to be the next Cleveland Brown because you might find yourself in a decade plus long spiral if you start doing that stuff. I sure do believe, can. what's that? <laughs> I said, you sure can. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, no question about it. for a long time, Cleveland, all sorts, Jacksonville, like those teams tanked a whole lot. They got a lot of high draft picks. They didn't turn it around. Yeah. No, I, so I'm, I'm sort of in the middle though. I, I do think that you can go aggressively young without necessarily trying to lose with still having your coaching staff and everyone in the building trying to win as many games as possible, but just knowing that like, Hey, we need to rip the bandaid a little bit. And we're not, we're not trading players away to necessarily like tank for Caleb Williams or anything like that. Like that's not our goal, but we're going to try to get fiscally responsible for a couple of years. We're going to have some early draft picks. We're going to, but we're still actively trying to win football games while we're doing this. I don't know. To me, there's, there's a balance there. And I do think you do still need to find a way to breed a winning culture, even when you don't necessarily have the players. But I guess I've, I've said all off season, this is to me, this is not an easy decision. And even though I would go more of an aggressive rebuild, like I get that, like, like I said, you could end up in a, a 10 year, all of a sudden a 10 year rebuild that nobody's a, a huge fan of. So. Yeah. I think, I think the other thing that becomes kind of a question mark. So you, you, you mentioned like, okay, your, your pitch to Aaron, right. Is we're reloading. Right but it is kind of a short little rebuild. So like maybe, maybe this isn't the year, but next year is the year. What happens if that's the pitcher making the Aaron, but then you also pick up Jordan Love's fifth year option, right? How can you sell that at the same time? I don't think you can. Yeah. So that's where it becomes a thing where it's like, maybe we do just have to choose one and it's like, all right, what do you, do you want two years Aaron or, the remainder of Jordan Love's career. And I'm going to be honest, we're not qualified to make those judgments, right? Like preseason doesn't count no. um, in terms of scheme and stuff like that. Like he had that good game against the Saints or whatever. But then you I, – I cut up Jordan Love's – and I put it yeah. on APC. I, I, I cut it up, um, hit all of his throws from last year. It's like 20 throws, right? So it's like – 23, yeah. We have, yeah, we have 20 throws and – I don't, they're seeing more out of him in a training camp practice than we are in, you know, any regular season games combined. So like, what are we supposed to do with that? They know better than this is one of the situations where it's like, they clearly know way better than we do. And we can't even pretend that, that we have insight on that thing. Right. Where um, 
you can watch some guys play where it's like, you know, Devontae Wyatt when he's flashing whatever or TJ Slayton and every every fan is wondering like, why the heck is he getting playing time over Dean Lowry? Then Dean Lowry goes down. They jump in and we're like, see, told you so. Told you, right? yeah. There's at, a at lot least, of those moments for Green Bay last year, by the way. Yeah, but we get that. But like, I don't think the Jordan Love situation is like that at all. Like, I, no, I really do think like the front office and the coaching staff, they just have more film on these guys. I totally agree. And we were talking a little bit about this offline to me. And I I did a whole episode on this as well. To me, this is still another referendum on Jordan love in the fact that if they wholeheartedly believe in him and they think like, yeah, this is a top 15 starter in the league. I don't know how you can even have the conversation of like, what are we going to do in this situation? To me, it's just an absolute no brainer. You get what you can for Rogers and you go to a top 15 quarterback in Jordan love. To me, there's still, it still says something if they don't feel comfortable just ripping the bandaid and going to Jordan, uh, I don't know, maybe you see it differently, but to me that, that still would say something if they're not a million percent confident in going to Jordan at this point. Yeah. If they don't pick up the option, that's the big one for me where I'm like, okay. Like they, they don't buy into it, but if they pick up the option and somehow bring Aaron back, I think that would be a little different. I mean, there were the comments, what was it? Devondre Campbell said at like mid season, he was like, Jordan love is, you know, a starter in this league, he's better than a lot of the quarterbacks that we see. We saw Dobbs say, you know, something something similar recently. I mean, it seems like he has a lot of advocates there who are not even necessarily the coaches or the front office, but, you know, the other teammates on the team. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe he is, he is ready. But, again, it, it is kind of like a big old present with a question mark on it, right? Like, who knows? It's a lottery ticket still, and we have, it's been this crazy lottery ticket that has sort of gone up and down throughout the course of his time in Green Bay. I think it's a little bit higher now than it's been in the past, but it's still, I, I, I argue that I don't think even Green Bay can make a completely educated um, decision on him because they just haven't seen enough of him. I like I get training camp practices of value. I get preseason as value, but like some players just play better in like when the stakes are higher and just to find a way to elevate their game. And while I think they, like you said, they are light years more knowledgeable on the situation than we can even pretend to be. Um, I still think that there's a unknown to Jordan where, you know, all for a team that couldn't necessarily understand that Keyshawn Nixon might be a better returner than Amari Rogers for half the season. Forgive me if I'm not a hundred percent sold that they know a thousand percent what Jordan Love's going to become if he would actually get a starting season under his belt. Yeah, live reps matter. Practice yeah. whistles are very quick. Practice yes. whistles are very quick, and guys are not going a hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. As you watch, I know it's just twenty plus throws, but you obviously saw some preseason stuff as well. We just prefaced it. We can't even pretend to make a, a, a full evaluation of Jordan Love at this point. But did you have any takeaways when you did the film work of Jordan? Um, thought he was a pretty quick processor. And it was pretty much like, I mean, just kind of one of those quarterbacks. Like, if you're building one a, a quarterback to just kind of like go through the progressions and stuff like that, right? Like, he was nailing it. Um there weren't a lot of like, cause again, he was getting a lot of like garbage time looks outside of what the Eagles game was competitive at the end when he came in Yeah, outside of that. I mean, it was a lot of like off coverage. He's just taking what the defense gives him stuff like that. I think against the Eagles, he had that, uh, that cover two hole shot. So if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, like cover two, um, it's really popular in the league right now, right? You hear everyone talk about the two high safety stuff like that. It's a lot of quarters, a lot of cover two, What cover two is, is, you know, the corner is kind of playing the shallow zone um, on the sideline and then the safety's playing over the top. 
the problem with that is that safety is kind of splitting the difference between one or two. He could take either one of them vertical, right? So he kind of has to play in the middle. So there's this little hole kind of behind that first zone on that sideline um, where you can just kind of like drop it in. And I think that's probably the most important throw in this era of football right now. I would, I would have said, you know, five, 10 years ago would have been the crossing route. Right. Just because everyone or a crossing route or a comeback, just because everyone was playing, you know, cover three, you know, middle right. of the field, close stuff with that post safety. Um, but if he, you're playing he, the Packers. It's still the crossing route, by the way. The <laughs> it is <laughs> it is because they can't they can't pass off anything. Um, but I mean, he saw that whole shot, which, again, you know, one of the harder throws in the sport. And he just wings it against the Eagles. And it's, a, yeah. it's a it's with Aaron Jones lined up at outside receiver. And you're like. All right, this dude has balls, right? Yeah. So we got we got that checked off. We got him processing. He's pretty clean, you know, from a mechanical standpoint. He does have like a little bit more elongated uh of emotion than Aaron, but like everyone is gonna have a more elongated emotion than Aaron at this point. And then the other thing that I noticed was like, oh, he's throwing over the middle of the field. A whole yeah. lot over the middle of the field. That's fun. I forgot yeah. about that. It is nice to see from time to time that that no fly zone that has been in the middle of the field for some time now get utilized a little bit. And, uh, you know, Christian Watson took advantage of that a little bit, too, when he was in there catching the little crosser and taking it the distance. But, yeah, I'm going to be so intrigued with what happens and if he does get a real opportunity, just what what that operation looks like. I do love the fact that. Uh, to me, the, the progression for a young quarterback is just A, just try to survive, understand the offense. And then it's, all right, can I go through the progressions and can I just take one at a time? And then like, once you kind of do that, then start doing the improv stuff. And the fact, I, I do feel like his overall career progression so far, while maybe taking a little bit longer than we would like and still not having a definitive answer of what he's going to be as a quarterback, I feel like it's at least following a the, the right trajectory maybe again, not as fast, but like, I feel like it's going in the right direction. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, you, I know we said early on like preseason garbage time, that stuff doesn't count. But if you just look at the type of throws that they're asking him to make and stuff, even since the Kansas city game, you know, when he made that first start, when Aaron was out with COVID, right. I mean, their answer against Spags, who's a psycho that couldn't couldn't have you couldn't have schemed you know a, a worse spot for a rookie quarterback or you know second first time quarterback starting. yeah to start against than against Spagnolo who's gonna On the send road. guys in Casey yeah in he's gonna send guys from everywhere and and you know the Green Bay's answer was really like all right if they're gonna impress the hell out of us and blitz like we just gotta like one two get the ball get the ball out of his hands and take some shot plays and they really struggled for three quarters doing that. And then they kind of transitioned to the RPO stuff and that worked a whole lot better. And then you, you start watching what they're doing now and he can do full field progressions and stuff like that. You know, the pick a side empty offense and stuff like that. And it's like, I, he's come a long way. And I, I think they kind of know what he can do now, which is a little bit different. I mean, imagine again, that Spagnolo thing, right. And, and how he's blitzing from everywhere and, compare that to what we said about practice reps where that whistle's super early and the guys aren't going full speed. They know they can't hit the quarterback, right? And practice like those reps matter a whole lot, not just in terms of development, but of evaluation too. Totally agreed. Want to transition. I I don't have an exact question that I necessarily want to ask you here other than just like, haven't had the, the chance before today to talk to you in a while what was your overarching takeaways from 2022? And you can go what went wrong, what you're excited about, 
what you were frustrated with? Like, as you look back in just kind of the season as a whole, what did you learn and what were your key takeaways? Um, I think early on in the season, a lot of guys in bad spots. So you look at the offensive line and you're like, oh, Jake Hansen was out there. You right look there. at punt returner, you know, Amari Rogers is out there. Um, I think Darnell Savage was put in a couple of tough spots a couple of times. Um, I think the defense in general um, had a bad tackling year. I mean, Devondre Campbell took a couple steps back. I know people were like, once he got back and healthy, he was a lot better. I, I don't know if I totally buy into that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know if I totally buy into that. Um, I think defensively, they got better when Wyatt and Slayton were more involved than, you know, Lowry and Jaron Reed and do with that what you will, right? Like they have three three defensive linemen basically under contract going into next year. Um, it's the Donald, right three. It's the right three. <laughs> um, I, I thought Kingsley and Igbari, um really developed down the stretch. Thought he was fun. The fact that they could get Justin Hollins into the game and, you know, steal those reps away from, you know, a T. Penalia or, or Jonathan Garvin. I thought that was a huge difference maker because Agreed. that fourth pass rusher, like that guy matters. That he guy's going to get reps. Like he's going to get rotated in. Um, Dot Douglas had a better year than Campbell, I guess, if we're going for like the signings of the one-year wonders. Safety was tough. I think Amos lost a step. Um, he lost which, like two steps. Yeah, and I'm sorry, I disagree. He lost like two and a half steps. <laughs> He's a physical, strong safety, and he yeah. was like doing things like playing inside linebacker for a long time. Like that guy's legs were never gonna last forever, right? And it's just like, okay, well, all right, we're gonna move on after this year. Savage is still interesting to me because they did play him in the slot, but now it's like, okay, Stokes is coming back. So is Russell just on the bench? Is Russell playing safety? Is Russell in the slot? Uh, what are we doing with Savage in that situation, right? And even then, like, the, the Packers, I think, down the stretch a couple times. And you're seeing this a lot elsewhere in the same kind of coaching system, like all the all the Fangio defenses. Um, teams really want to keep playing nickel against 12 and 21 personnel. So, yeah. like, heavier offenses, but you still stay light on defense. That sounds great until your slot is is Savage. And I know I know they beat – the Vikings, but like that Vikings game, every time they, that they would do that, they're like, okay, we're going to motion in one of our wide receivers and we're just going to have him block, you know, Savage. And we're just going to run it down your throat. They were basically running the Alan Lazard insert stuff. And we're like, yep. get out of this. And there's nothing you can do against it. I know uh, who was it? The Cowboys, the Packers did it a couple of times against the Cowboys when the Cowboys were in like 13 personnel, you know, with three tight ends. And they're just like, all right, they're on the field. Hurry up. Like, we're just going to keep them on the field, and we're just going to keep running the ball right at them, right? And I know that's, again, another game that they won, but I don't think they can do the things that they want to do with the personnel that they have. Like, I know no one wants to hear this because they keep spending first-round picks and big contracts on defenders, but they need more talent on defense, period. They really do. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey. 
instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. That's the... We talk about like Joe Barry a lot and stuff. And I know like we've seen all the investments that this defense has made and we, we could go through them one by one. You, you went through a lot of them right now, but like just the, the pieces that this defense has. And if I were a defensive coordinator, I don't even know where I would necessarily begin and how I would necessarily run this defense. It probably wouldn't be the same way as Joe Barry, but I would probably trust him over me. But it just is like the, the safeties to me were such a massive letdown. As we talked about, Amos lost a step and Savage was better in the slot than he was at safety. They never any, any real other option. You, then you're at, if you play Savage in the slot, like I said, your other safety spots are a, a question mark. They played Ennis Gaines there a little bit towards the end. That was okay. But like, you, you don't have corners who like to tackle. Like you said, Devondre took a step back. Quay Walker, he shows the flashes, but he's not holding up at the point of attack against offensive linemen or even sometimes tight ends and fullbacks. You have defensive linemen that, you know, Wyatt's kind of learning on the fly. You get something out of Slayton, but he's not playing a ton of snaps. Kenny Clark's having to do a lot of heavy lifting. Rashawn Gary goes out with the injury, and it's like all of a sudden you, you don't – like if you're an offensive coordinator, how I always look at it is, especially once Gary went out, like, who are you, who are you game planning against? Who are, who are you afraid of? Or, or like, what are what are you concerned about? And it's like, all right, we got to make sure Kenny doesn't wreck the game. That's the, the one thing we kind of have to be a little bit cognizant of. And we probably shouldn't just keep targeting Jair Alexander right. and covering over and over. Like outside of that, I feel like everything's at my disposal. Can I run at this team? Yeah, I can definitely, cause they're going to run a lot of nickel stuff and they don't have a physical defense. They're not a ball hawking team. They're not a super fast team. They're not a super physical team. It's like, all right, what, what did you build me? Like what, what tools did you give Joe Barry to work with that you gave an offensive coordinator nightmares with? And I, 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 I'm with you. They need a little bit more. Yeah. And I, I know Joe Barry is basically a pinata right now, right? Just if you want to take your shot at him, go ahead. There's, there's very few people who will defend him. With that being said, it feels like, Every year under Barry, and it, it seems like LaFleur does kind of have his thumb on the defense to a certain extent. Like when he says that it, he, he makes it sound like it's not the coaching staff's problem. I'm really involved with the defensive side. Right. So it's like, OK, all right. It's on the players then to a- execute and stuff like that. But they come into the year and they're always playing like really vanilla defenses, like just like spot drop. Really not the most vanilla I've ever seen, I think, this year. To start like that Vikings game and like insane vanilla. Dude, it was the same thing last year. Remember that Detroit game yeah. at around halftime? And LaFleur even said after, he's like, I had to tell, like, I had to tell Barry, like, we have to get after Goff because if he's going to sit back there and just pat the ball, he's just going to keep moving the ball. So, um, you know, down the stretch, they really changed a lot of stuff up on defense. Like those Ennis Gain snaps. A lot of those snaps, he was getting it in the slot, and they were playing like that mint tight front, which if you guys don't know what that is, it's basically like think of like a 3-4 defense, and then you get rid of one of the outside linebackers, 
and you basically play a slot in that spot. So you only have like one real edge. And that's kind of the stuff that they were doing at the end of the year, which is not anything like that doesn't happen very much in the NFL. Um, and then, you know, they're running the penny stuff, which is, you know, big in the Fangio tree, but really only gets played in the Fangio tree, which is like a three, four defense. And you take out one of the inside linebackers and stay instead of a down lineman and put in the slot. Right. So it's instead of, you know, you use it instead of the nickel. You know, they were doing a lot of stuff by the end of the year that they weren't doing even at midseason. I, I, I see. I see why they brought Barry back. Because if you want to use that as a building block, you can build on it rather yeah. than just strip everything away and do, you know, do what the Vikings are doing, right? Where they're interviewing Petten and stuff like that after running a cover four defense, right? And and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, you're starting like training camp day one, no one knows anything, right? Yeah. That's that's where you're starting. So if you're gonna do the thing where you try to bring Aaron Rodgers back. It's going to be hard to do that and say, yeah, and the defense starts on page one of the playbook when we start training camp. Like, that's a tough ask. It's a good way to look at it. I didn't really look at it that way, to be honest. Uh, really quick answer. Do you, did you see anything in Ennis Gaines? Do you think he can actually be something, or was that just a uh... – I like Ennis Gaines. So Ennis Gaines has been kind of my guy for the past – I'm an Ennis guy believer too. It's Ennis Gaines, uh, who are the other uh, – Ray Wilborn was another one. Patrick Taylor, those, those were like the preseason darlings for me over the past couple of years. I, I like what Games does. Don't they call him like Bam Thump. or something like that? Thump is what I think. Oh, his name Thump. Is. Yeah, that's what that's what it is. I know. You know, Vernon Scott was the draft pick at a TCU. Yep. They both played at TCU, and Vernon was like, I know Vernon said like, if Ennis Games didn't get hurt coming out of college, like he he was better than me. He would have certainly gotten drafted and. You know, Scott was the one guy who got injured, got put on IR, you know, in the summer and actually stuck on IR. They didn't give him, you know, an injury settlement and stuff like that. So I he understand. Did. He's he's not on the roster anymore. So really? I talked to Wes Hodkowitz about it because I was so confused. I posted this on Twitter like a couple weeks ago and I covered it on here too. I like if you go on like uh, our lads over the cap, Track, any of them, yeah. Ennis Gaines still on the roster for 2023. If you go to Packers.com. Uh, he is no longer on the roster. Okay. And that like threw me. I'm like, what? Because I was doing, when I was putting together my like off season roster, I right. some guy off. And I'm like, what the heck? Why? Where? Who am I freaking missing? And it was, it was Vernon Scott. And then I asked Wes, because I'm like, is this something that was known? Because then I went back through all the PR releases and like, yeah. so he got released and he went back on IR. And then apparently at some point there was a settlement that just never got released. But like his, I guess, according to Wes, like his stuff was like cleared out of the locker and stuff like a couple of days after he was like back on the team. So like, huh. yeah, apparently he's no longer on the roster. All right. Well, that helps. I, I do <laughs> think the safety position is going to be really interesting because, I mean, you're going to get back. Tariq, who actually played a couple snaps in the three safety stuff, which is another yep. weird curveball that they kind of threw out there, where like three actual safeties, like the Iowa State stuff. If you guys want to look up Iowa State three safety, if if you guys are trying to figure out what I'm trying to talk about, um, he got a couple reps there. Obviously, you know, developed as the season went along uh, on special teams and stuff like that. They're gonna get back uh, Savage, who who knows what you're gonna want to do with him, and then you know they're gonna have gains. Um, going to have games back and it's like they're probably going to roster six safeties again i mean that's if basachi doesn't get the damn colts job right <laughs> Who knows um uh, cross my fingers aaron why do you need to do that dude don't don't encourage him i'm really worried if we lose basachi and 
uh, Jerry Gray in the same offseason. Um, I tweeted out, I said, uh, just you know, to Jim Ursay, just for the record, Jim, uh, Aaron gets Joe Barry and Rich Passaccia transposed <laughs> all the time. He actually meant to compliment Joe Barry and what he's meant to the locker room, not Rich Passaccia. So hopefully I, I did my part. Passaccia really turned that special teams around, man. I mean, that's another thing that was really apparent, right? Um, letting him just have his hands on some of these DBs. Um, you know, a couple corners and then mostly, you know, safeties and stuff like that yeah. um, to kind of influence like what the game day roster looks like. Like went such a long way. If if they had it, and I, I don't even think Mason Crosby had a bad year. Like he was an accurate kicker and stuff like that. But like on kickoffs, like they were dead last in touchback return. Like it was like 20% or something like that. It was laughable. If they had a bigger leg, I, I, I think they would have been right at the top of the league in terms of the sp- like overall special team stuff. Um, I think so too. The way that they were playing with like reckless abandon at the end of the year on, on teams, not like obviously we saw the Keyshawn Nixon stuff, but like I had not seen a, a Packers team cover. They're good at covering stuff. Yeah, they're yeah. good at covering stuff. It was weird. I, I, I forgot what that looked like, to be honest. <laughs> and just like guys that like cared about teams, like that, yeah. that was such a breath of fresh air. A couple quick, I don't know if this one's going to be a quick one. We can try to make it a quick one. We're four years in to the Matt LaFleur era, 13 wins, 13 wins, 13 wins, eight and nine. You go conference championship game, conference championship game, divisional round out of the playoffs. You have two total playoff wins in four seasons. How do you evaluate Matt LaFleur at this point? Um, Good offensive play designer. I think at the beginning, probably his first two years, he had more of a hot hand in terms of this guy is playing well. Let's get him more snaps, right? I think that's been probably my biggest disappointment recently is just that, like, you know, you should have been be, been able to evaluate Wyatt and Slayton and guys like that and be like, hey, let's get him into the lineup. Amari Rodgers, you should have been able to pull the ripcord faster I, I know he's a draft pick third round pick all that stuff but like you should have been able to figure that out right like if we if we were able to figure it out you should have been able to do it um and then i think on the defensive side i just kind of have a question mark like i just don't know if his loyalty is going to be an issue right where it's like he for the for the most part i mean not not firing barry is him to some extent putting his equity on the line and saying like, I vouch for this guy. And if Barry is wrong, that's also going to be a reflection on the floor. Now, the other question I have is like, how much of that is the team being cheap on coaching staffs? Because a buyout does cost money and to hire a big name defensive coordinator does cost money. And they didn't buy out Petten when they switched over um head coach last time and they turned down Rizzi right as special teams coordinator yeah. when LaFleur wanted to hire him and they didn't they made an internal hire that blew up in their face and they had to spend big money on Rich Visaccia right so that's something that's kind of hard to know it doesn't seem like they're spending a lot of money on the coaching staff but is that because of LaFleur is that because of management right like that's I I, I think that's still a little bit 
of a question mark at least. So it is, it is an interesting thing that doesn't get talked about very often. I think the Rizzi thing was the first major tell of like, all right, they, they were not willing to spend to get the guy that they wanted because it costs too much money. And then I think they course corrected a little bit with Passaccia, just knowing how awful that like literally the special teams just cost them a playoff game in a season right. they were all in, but yeah, they do. They have seemed to kind of pinch pennies a little bit. I'm going to be interested to see how they fill this, DB's coach as well. Do I mean, that's, a, that's another one because he's not even a coordinator, right? right? Like Jerry Gray left to be an assistant head coach, head which coach. is fine, but an assistant head coach doesn't need – like you can't block an assistant head coach to interview for a defensive coordinator job, No, right? So that's where it gets interesting where it's like you could have fronted the money to pay this guy. He was also passing game coordinator in Green Bay, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like that guy was important. We saw the DB's – in Green Bay, who are you know under contract, Russell Douglas, guys like that, tweet out like the eyeball emojis and like the heck's going on yeah. here. And it's like, all right, well, someone else is gonna come in and coach, and we'll see who that is. I thought it was funny. Um who was was it you? It might have been you that tweeted out Jim Leonard as a potential DB coach. Oh, I, I tweeted as one of the names, yeah. I didn't like necessarily think it's gonna happen, but like I don't think it's happening. I don't no. think it's happened. I, I don't know what happened with his situation. Cause from what I understand, cause everything goes through like little back channels and like talking to agents and stuff. Right. Like in terms of teams reaching out to coaches, I had heard that like the Browns and the Packers were the two teams that had in season kind of reached out to Leonard and been like, Hey, this might come open. Right. So this is when the, the original defensive coordinator position was open or are you talking this year? No, no, no. This year. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this year. So this was when it was apparent that, like, uh, Wood was going to get fired in Cleveland and stuff like that. Um, And then Leonard just, like, doesn't take the UW job to be their DC and stick on with Luke Fickle's staff. You know, it's – I mean, it's literally National Signing Day as we're talking right now. So it's like these DC jobs aren't really going to come open at the college level. His name hasn't really been floated around at the NFL level. So, like, no. is he just going to take a year off? Is that what he's doing? I don't know. I don't know what the heck's happening with Leonard. But I think he's too highly thought of to be a position coach at the NFL level. I think you would have to sweeten some things, meaning, like, you're giving him some sort of not only passing game coordinator, but you might yeah, you have to give him AHC. Yeah, minimum. I think so, too. I think you have to give him probably an assistant coach. Yeah. Um, I. I think it's extremely unlikely. I think it's a name that's out there that would make a phenomenal defensive backs coach and, and passing game coordinator. I think that'd be a home run. Uh, I, it's just oh, like for sure. I'd be excited if he, if he oh, came yeah. in. I mean, I think, I mean, I know he he played safety and stuff like that. I don't know what he coached at the college level, but yeah, I mean, everyone who's ever worked with him is like, this guy's a genius. I just, I think, I don't know if, if uh, they're willing to spend that. I mean, I think if he wanted to be, you know, in college football and I know Bama's open. So I guess, you know, maybe, maybe he takes a Bama job or something like that. And that, that ends up being it. But like, you could probably get like $2 million per year to coach DC, you know, at the college level. And that's nowhere close to what DB coaches in the NFL are, are making. No, for sure. And the, I mean, the other thing too, is that like, and one of the things I noted is even like, let's just say you get him as your defensive backs coach. What is it? A one and done? Because like he, like he legitimately could yeah. get 
potentially head coaching opportunities next year in college. I mean, if Harbaugh leaves, he could be the head coach at Michigan. Like, but yeah, literally, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, so he at worst he's going to get, like you said, like maybe some major program defensive coordinator, if not NFL defensive coordinator, if not like head coach of a legitimate program in college football, like by next year. And if you're if you're him like the optics on it are probably like, all right, I turned down this defensive coordinator job two years ago and now I'm going to report into Joe Barry. Like the, the optics probably just don't look great. You're probably right. better off setting off out a year. Right. Yeah. I agree there. Jerry Gray didn't seem super excited about hitching his wagon to Joe Barry's defense. I'm not sure how stoked Jim. <sighs> Leonard's gonna be to do yeah. That. Which is, you know, LaFleur came out and said, you know, he doesn't expect changes on the, on uh, the coaching staff. Now he might be down him and, God forbid Rich Passaccia is gone. Because if Rich Passaccia is gone, then I don't – that feels like tailspin in terms of just, like, morale. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, that would be an, an absolute nightmare at this point. Like, just his overall leadership in the org plus what he's done for special teams. And depending on when it happens, like, I could see the Colts dragging their feet for another couple of weeks. Like, all other coaching jobs and, like, special teams coordinators might get snatched up at that point. <laughs> and, like yeah. – and, and Basashia could take Green Bay's assistance as like their special teams coach. Like you could end up. Oh, in, like, don't even talk about that. Yeah. Now I'm, oh, I don't like that at all. You could end up in total. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that'll be fun. Let's, let's end on that positive note. Any, any quick Super Bowl prediction, uh, Eagles and Chiefs? Um, if Mahomes is healthy over, right. I, I think that's what everyone is hoping for. I don't think that defense is very good for the Chiefs. Um, so. Should be should be a fun matchup though. I mean, I agree. What a contrast of offensive styles, and I I hope Mahomes wins it. I I don't know if you guys are on the same wavelength as me, but I'm like, I'm team no new kings, no new teams. So like, we're not naming. I'm I'm rooting for teams that have won it already and quarterbacks who have won it already. So I don't need Jalen Hurts to have as many Super Bowl rings as Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. That's <laughs> that's what I'm rooting for. All right. So if you have Mahomes wins every Super Bowl for the next decade, Aaron. Cool with it. I'm cool with it. All right. Deal. I I like the Eagles in this. So I'll, I'll go over why in future episodes, but I don't know. Well, I just hope it's entertaining. I don't really care who wins. Honestly, justice, you are absolutely amazing. Where can we find your work and where can we follow you on social media? Uh, Acmepackingcompany.com. I think uh, today, if, if this is releasing on Thursday, like I think it's going to, uh, I'm going to have something up on how the Packers defense matches uh, opposing wide receivers just in terms of like personnel sets and stuff. We're going to do a deep dive this summer at APC about this Packers defense because I want to figure out exactly how it works, exactly what play calls are, and when they use them situationally. So keep an eye out on that. And then you that. can find me on Twitter at J-U-M-O-S-Q, Jumosk on Twitter. Every time I hear your Twitter handle or see it, I think of uh, the old Rammstein Duhas. Jew, Jew mosque, Jew mosque, and then just can go from there. But that's another topic for another time. Very last thing, very last thing. One one word answer is Aaron Rodgers back in Green Bay in 2023. Yes or no? No. I'm still torn. That's going to do it for Johnson. (laughs) Make sure to follow Justice at J-U-M-O-S-Q, right? At J-U-M-O-S-Q. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go.